0: What's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of The I'm Getting There podcast. It's your host Michael Booth and today I'm here with first time guest on the show, Alec Dixon. He's the co-founder of SC Labs, which is a testing lab for cannabis in the state of California. And really cool to have him on as a guest. Uh, I felt like I learned, a, you know, a good amount of stuff that I didn't know and you know, opened some you know, some some doors to thinking about cannabis in a different way. Uh, honestly and so it was really cool to have him on and I hope that he does that for you as well I hope that you know uh, people that I feel like don't know a whole lot about cannabis testing I feel like this is a really great dive into that um, so and you can follow him on Instagram at cbdizzle and he also the lab is on Instagram at SC labs so be sure to check those things out as well and if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, it is at I'm Getting There Pod, all one word. I post uh, links to other people's social media that I have on, links to anything they're doing, and uh, try to post clips um, from the video. Uh, that you know, I don't post the whole video episodes because it's just I just don't have um, I don't really know how to edit video that well yet, and so I don't feel like putting that out and. So, but I post the clips, you know, I, I'm like trying to get, you know, some good clips. And so go follow the, go follow the, uh, the Instagram for that stuff. And if you want to continue to support the show, you can do so by subscribing to the show on any platform that you're on. Um, and if that platform happens to be Apple Podcasts, if you could please leave a review for the show and leave some stars uh, for the show as well. Try to build up the ratings for the show. So please, um, that feedback is important and matters. Um, so thank you, and if you want to help the show grow, you can donate to the show by clicking that Tip Jar link in the description of the episode. You can either do a one-time donation, um, and there's I think any amount is uh, is there. And then also, if you want to become a recurring member with a donation of also, I think the lowest one is a dollar. Uh, there's some private content that I've been creating and posting on the website that you can access from the same portal and online that Pinecast normally has if you listen to, I think there's a handful of people that listen to the episodes through Pinecast. So you can also listen to the private content there if you're a regular subscriber of the show. So um, thank you. Thank you guys so much for um, supporting listening to the podcast. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Alec as much as I did. (laughs) Alec, uh thank you again obviously for for sitting down today with me uh I um I want to say that you're the sc labs was the first um lab that I ever heard of when I moved to California and I started working in, in cannabis I think in like 2017 uh and I'm curious to know like how much longer before that you guys were kind of operating and, and doing stuff because that's kind of when I heard about and even knew about like cannabis testing in california and i'm like i have no back i have no i basically don't have any like history
1: you know back before that yeah no totally uh yeah appreciate the question uh yeah so so uh me and three partners we started sc labs uh back in you know the idea kind of came together in the fall of 2009 and we kind of officially okay. oh wow yeah we officially kind of opened our doors and started testing cannabis uh, actually for the Emerald Cup that was our first gig back in t- you know the you know kind of harvest of 2009 um, in December the Emerald Cup that year kind of we we tested you know like some amount of entries for potency you know that was really our first gig but we kind of opened okay. our doors um, then in early 2010 and, um, yeah, you know, we started kind of basic kind of potency cannabinoid testing, you know, for five or so cannabinoids. And, you know, um, early on, kind of when we opened, you know, because prior to us starting SC Labs, um, you know, uh, myself and, you know, a couple of my other business partners, you know, were in the world of cultivation. And, you know, I was working okay. in, in Santa Cruz County after I kind of moved, moved, moved here from Mendocino County, uh, where I had spent the last couple of years growing herb up there. Um, moved to santa cruz you know had a little indoor growing uh indoor grow going um in the 215 days you know um and mm-hmm. uh, and then i started working at uh, santa cruz hydroponics and organics i was working there for a couple of years so that's kind of where ultimately i met you know um what became then you know now my, my my business partners with sc labs but you know sc hydro kind of was a a great space at which you know i feel like i really learned a lot about just uh you know, kind of a deeper advanced education of, you know, my passion from cultivation, you know, onto, you know, all the ranges okay. of fertilizers and pesticides. And, and so when we opened SC Labs, you know, kind of um, being that we kind of knew this plant and came from the plant, you know, we, we wanted to have, create a really relevant service to cater to this plant. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we were like the first lab to really create a substantial pesticide test. You know, we we're testing for like 12 of the most common pesticides at a time. You know, if you've ever heard about Eagle, okay. uh, 20 Forbid, Warmite, yeah. Avid, Midocoprid. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we were early on testing for those and just kind of trying to get the word out that, you know, there's better options. And, you know, a lot of these things that people just mind, uh, mindlessly use actually have, you know, substantial yeah. residues on there that, you know, <laughs>
0: and you're like showing it, you know, you're like showing the amount and saying, Hey, this is, this is in there. That's, that's really cool because you know, I remember the, and I think everybody does, everybody can relate to this, like getting weed before, you know, any sort of legal market or even medical market. Um, you you didn't even know it's strained really. You, the guy told you, but you're like, okay, like <laughs> you just assumed it, you know? So uh, that's, it's so cool to like, just in the beginning, was it like more of like the people you're testing for, was it like just a lot of medical like cultivators and it was like, were you opening up to like, just really just anybody or.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, so, so yeah, bef- before kind of there was really any type of demand for testing, you know, it was funny when we first opened, you know, I'd gone from, you know, going selling herb at dispensaries to kind of going into dispensaries that I'd been meeting and kind of, you know, talking to them about testing. And at first it was a really, you know, people kind of almost like laugh at me. They're like, wait, I sell weed to people like, why would I give you some weed, some money and you're going to give me back a piece of paper? You know, like, I don't, it was kind yeah. of the value Like like, it was kind of, you know, ahead of its time
0: it was like bizarre bizarre. almost yeah um
1: but you know kind of ultimately just uh you know kind of it was it was through you know education and putting information out and just trying to you know be a champion for the plant you know that we really started get you know kind of some traction but at first yeah like the people that we served it were just people voluntarily testing to you know breeders for the genuine interest and you know wanting to know what they had or know kind of to breed for kind of you know higher potency or for you know looking for rare Mm -hmm. cannabinoids at the time like cbd which was pretty much non-existent at the time and and um and then you know kind of you know like a lot of you know because early on kind of it was really clear this dichotomy that was of people that were in the cannabis industry you know and i saw that a lot from working at the hydroponic store too um, but, you know, you see people yeah. that are in because the love for the plant and like that they grow organically and never even think about spraying some like Syngenta pesticides or Bayer pesticides on the plant, you know. Um, but then you yeah. always you also saw clearly these people that didn't give a shit, uh, excuse me, using the language, but they would, um, uh-huh. you know, they'd have a spider mite infestation, you know, webbing the tops of all their buds in week six of flower a couple weeks before harvest and they're you know they'd come into the hydro store panicking and you know and spraying a cocktail of all the pesticides down there you know just to try to save save their mm-hmm. ass but it's like actually how much were they poisoning the plant you know and all the people downstream from that decision that are ultimately going to but yeah you know and so it was very clear to see this separation and so a lot of our early business it was the people on this other side the people that were spraying actively and dropping bombs in their grow rooms, you know, just fungicides and pesticides, you know, it's like the, you know, a lot of that, you know, wasn't really, you know, there was no demand for that testing because they're, you know, just one direction selling that product. But, you know, for people that were, you know, just more passionately interested in the plan and like learn to, you know, trying to find tools to learn how to do better at what they do, you know, kind of, you know, expand kind of, you know, all the ways of, you know, kind of pesticide use and all that. That's that was kind of a lot of our early yeah. early clients, and and also dispensaries. Dispensaries that would buy herb, they would test it because they would want to market, you know, THC content to the consumer to you know, justify mm-hmm. a higher price.
0: That's kind of what I wanted to ask too. Is I feel like there was probably a tipping point with, um, like, the potency being represented in the in the dispensaries and having like there's probably some early movers that were like i'm going to use this to my advantage maybe saw like what you're talking about those people with the love for the plant maybe they saw it as like a advantage in the dispensary like here's my thc percentage like and then you can like i'm sure word of mouth too like being able to actually know like and then kind of like having like it's almost i want to say like the consumer may have had like a little bit of a snarky like. Like, what's your THC percentage? And and they're like, I don't know. And it's like, I you we don't know. Like, yes. like, like, like like kind of looking down on people like that. Like I know what my you know I know exactly what I'm getting. And I think yeah, I think that's like been a huge mover in like testing more and more. Like I, I that's it's like really interesting just listening to you say that. I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, it was probably just like a like anything trend really. Like it's just there was those early initial people. And then it just kind of like just tipped. And then now, and then also like the, you know, the legal and medical markets, like having more and more requirements for,
1: for that, like,
0: like when did that stuff start to kick in? Like, I'm curious about that. Well,
1: you know, that's, what's been really interesting to see because, you know um, you know, through testing, it's like this, this demonstration of ultimate consumer transparency, right. About the -hmm. history of that product. Right. And at first, you know, kind of testing with cannabis was, voluntary and done by like some of the more progressive people trying to stand out and show why their product is better or d- demanded a premium, you know, but, but now kind of in the, you know, as each state, you know, kind of a slowly, you know, kind of adopted medical and then moved into recreational and licensing and regulating, you know, kind of, you know, cannabis unlike any other plant in history is being put on this, this, this level of pedestal, right. Partially. Yeah. Well, kind of, the you know the fact that someone is going to cancer patients and pediatric epilepsy kids and you know so so there's this whole component of consumer uh, public health and safety um, which is which is which the federal government and the state governments are you know putting uh, this level of scrutiny on cannabis you know and, and coming with, to be with hemp um, which is you know, I think a really amazing thing because you know cannabis is mm-hmm. you know this incredible phytoremediator of toxins and contaminants from the soil it's a bioaccumulator of toxins you know it's a phytoremediator it cleans up the soil and so so you know kind of you know through testing you know it's it's really this lens helping to show how much of this plant is able to pull out of the soil you know from pesticides to heavy metals to you know all the range of different contaminants possible and and so you know kind of now that you know each state kind of is you know you know you saw it happen at first with you know Colorado you know, there's Washington, you know, then Oregon, mm-hmm. and now it's California. And, you know, each each effort, you know, it seems like this, the state kind of each state is like learning from the mistakes of the past states. And, you know, California, you know, they, they did a tremendous amount in, in you know, um, that could have been way better, you know, especially with, um, you know, not just such ridiculous <laughs> yeah. kind of taxation that's just destroying and making so much commerce just difficult to impossible. But, I think on, on the level mm-hmm. of testing though i mean california really is is leading the nation in in testing cannabis because they you know they the the public you know the department of public health you know kind of together with the bcc you know kind of like you know did a lot of scrutiny to to, to develop a list of what what are the things to test for and why you know and and really the why they created yeah. were more you know deeply focused around public health and safety and so you know kind of they crafted this test you know testing for you know, 66 of the most common agricultural pesticides, fungicides, growth regulators kind of used an egg and, and, um, you know, kind of heavy metals and all this. And, and so, so then, you know, kind of now, now we're in this space since 2018, where, you know, licensed regulated cannabis is happening and, and, um, and then just a really fascinating insight, you know, so, you know, ch- and this, this is just really a tremendous uh, statistic, but in the years leading up to legalization and licensing of uh, regulation of cannabis, you know, from 2015 to 2017 um, at SC Labs, you know, we were, we were testing for 12 of the most common pesticides and fungicides and growth regulators that we knew were actively being used on cannabis. And, um, mm-hmm. and you know, because if, if there's any pesticides used on cannabis, if you go to extract the plant, right, not only are you concentrating cannabinoids, but you're concentrating pesticides. And, and, you know, in the years leading up to regulation, you know, people were using these closed loop recycling, recirculating extractor systems that what we end up kind of finding out is they just recycled and recirculated pesticides that were ran from material in between runs. And people didn't have these really strict SOPs back then of sterilizing the systems yeah. and sterilize you know, and keeping gas separate for each client, you know. And so people were just essentially compounding and concentrating pesticides across batches and so there's their game well well and, it was before and, testing was demand or before before there was a a mandate for testing 20, okay, yeah, 2015 okay. to 2017 we saw about a 30 percent fail rate for one of those 12 pesticides on flour and for on extract we saw anywhere from 50 to 75 percent fail rate um you know kind uh, of for one of those 12 12 pesticides on cannabis right so 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 in those years leading up to regulation you know kind of public i mean the the, 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 you could very much extrapolate there was a massive there like a lot of the medicine supplies poisoned. you know in that way of you know just seeing like there's some of the most yeah. crazy levels of pesticides um and you know because again in extraction everything concentrates and compounds you know um but but anyway so yeah. once legalization happened 2018 kicked in you know once like you know the whole thing shifted you know we saw For pesticides, you know, that we we then expanded to 66 pesticides at such a strict testing limit. And we saw the pesticide fail limit on final product go down to about 3%. So 50 to 70% in the years leading up to 2018 with the implementation of testing regulations, you know, we saw the medicine supply get cleaned up to the point where heavy metals, the pesticides, you know, all have 3% or less fail rate on final product. You know, and that's, and, and, and the big reason behind that is, you know, because people in in the licensed supply chain, they'll, you know, they'll do what's called R&D testing or in-process testing where they're, you know, testing batches before they put it in final products so they can ensure yeah. that the, by the time they put all that work into making a final product, it's going to pass. But, but it's just, it just astounding to me. And, it's, it, and you know, it, it, I think everybody in the cannabis community should be incredibly proud because, you know, essentially this regulated space the cleanest supply chain in the history of, uh, you know, in any industry, essentially like, you know, the cleanest weed ever. <laughs> yeah. Cleanest weed ever. And, and I mean, cause you know, the, like, you know, people are advertising now that they're, that their licensed herb is cleaner than the food system, you know, cleaner than, you know, water in most cities and areas. And so, yes, yeah, I
0: mean, it's tested like the same level, like all of our pharmaceuticals and stuff is tested at pretty much, you know, like, it's it's crazy and also it's really interesting to to like start to see like with the with like 2018s now to start to see like um how like the product is being tested like in the state like basically like how all the different skews of product have been like kind of morphed and like haven't been tested in certain ways like this is something i was talking about on another um podcast has been like like all like like all the edibles and 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 pre-rolls and stuff like that you know having to be packaged and stuff already and and just like having that's like transformed so many like testing has transformed the industry in so many different ways it's just like elevated like at cultivations, elevated the bottom line of like compliant like practice right and cleanliness like we're talking about but then also at like the level of like manufacturing Mm -hmm. it's like done the same thing in that space like and it's like in that space is like you know in the parameters of like manufacturing right it's elevated every practice I think like you know I've seen it happen you know before like I've watched it happen I've like you know like making pre rolls, making like all this other stuff and then seeing like edible like kitchens and like extraction like you're talking about and like all the different practices they have to implement in like labs like cleaning the equipment and like having to have proper like SOPs for all this stuff. It's really it's, it's really been interesting just wow. to see it kind of like just kind of like happen in a few years, yeah. you know, like you're it feels like you're standing there and all of a sudden everything looks like like you it's like you it's like we were all thinking about it becoming and, and you know and, it, and we're not even there yet. It's like that's the crazy part. It's like it feels already really
1: cool. But it's like still, like just getting yeah, better and better. Absolutely. Bigger. Well, and you know, that's that's just really interesting, and you know, kind of um, something that even gives me actually a lot of you know excitement about the future of this this community. You know, because it's a really difficult thing to like navigate this 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 really highly tested, regulated supply chain. You know, and you know one of the things I see it's like you know from When you consider the the legacy people that you know kind of helped take this plant across the finish line to become legal in the state of california you know so many of the veterans and the you know drug drug war veterans that you know kind of were standing on the backs of you know kind of you know kind of when you when you really understand kind of the like the legacy ancestral knowledge it takes to learn how to grow cannabis on a certain scale with level of quality and love and you know that's that's always going to be like that level or better you know i mean that's a really difficult thing mm-hmm. incredible craft you can't just like come never have grown cannabis and think you're going to come grow like 50 acres of of ganja in and just and possibly just like right in the middle of you know one of the dirty some of the dirtiest areas of agland in, in the state you know They i feel like um, mm-hmm. the, through testing it's almost you know, it it creates this like evening of the playing, leveling of the playing field. So, you know, David and Goliath are competing on the same kind of playing field. And it's like, if you can, and, you know, and mad respect to anybody that can meet and exceed the quality standards that are put forward, you know, and, you know, and I see just a lot of the legacy regions of the state where this plant's been being grown and carried for so long, you know, it's like people in those areas grew the plant organically and, you know, didn't decimate the land, you know, it's like, you know, when you consider, a lot of areas where wine is grown, you know, like Napa Valley, you know, Napa Valley, it's, it's, a good, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. They don't allow cannabis licensed cultivation there because nothing would ever pass. You know, it's such a highly dense sprayed area because of all the wine grapes, you know, and all the glyphosate and all the things. It's like it's, it's kind of a tainted vintage or a tainted region if you, to grow cannabis. You know, it's kind of like an, an appellation. Yeah. It's kind of a very non-ideal appellation, even though it might be for growing the plant just because of the regional contamination that exists you know it's like it's not an ideal place to grow cannabis you know and and so you know i think um you know and then also just you know there's just so much to learn i feel like um this plant has just endless teachings when you start working with it you know and if you want to succeed with it you know you have to learn all these lessons and um and kind of you know a lot of people we work with you know that are making like infused products you know it's like you know just you know it's not just the can cannabis ingredients that could cause that could pose a fail, right? It's like, you know, people are using, you know, if they're making like lotions or topicals or salves or, you know, kind of different types of tinctures, you know, they're, they're taking different various essential oils or extracts of essence of certain plants, right? A lot of plants that are grown mm-hmm. in commercial ways sprayed with pesticides. Right. And so, so you see all these ingredients that people are kind of sourcing to kind of add like, you know, rock a making chocolate you know it's like who would have thought cacao accumulates cadmium like a heavy metal you know and if it's around mountainous regions where it's grown it's going to have high levels of cadmium in it so it's like that's a landmine that you have to avoid you know if you're going to use cacao as an ingredient in cannabis products you know and so <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's good. interesting dude i never even thought of that whoa right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> totally well you know and it, it's a trip too because like you know we're we're just learning all these like micro trends from all from where fails happen with you know within kind of the compliant cannabis world you know yeah
0: it's like way more it's way more in depth than just cannabis
1: dude yeah. like, well, it's like
0: one it's of the like, trends
1: you know i actually like, i'm sorry
0: no i was gonna say go ahead i, I would just like that, that just that's like so crazy to think about because i'm also that yeah there's so many yeah keep going so yeah. no no you're
1: good oh yeah the one one trend i just blew blows my mind you know we're actually going to be writing a paper about it but it's uh the story of this pesticide called kumaphos uh it's like c-o-u-m-a-p-h-o-s kumaphos and kumaphos is, is on, on the category one list of pesticides in california which is uh, the high, the the most tightly regulated you know because they are they have the you know most ha- harmful effects uh you know kind of on the environment on life on people okay and um so it's a category 1 pesticide and you know go since 2018 when we started testing for these comprehensive pesticide uh, lists you know essentially 100% of the time we've seen this pesticide hit and fail a product it's been a topical mm-hmm. product with the ingredient beeswax in it Right. So so we start digging into this issue with groups that we're working with that are failing because, you know, they're up in arms because they're like, dude, we tested all the cannabis ingredients. We didn't see anything, no kumifos. And so how is this there? And so we start sort going through each other's sourced ingredients. You know, we end up testing beeswax and we see a huge amount of this pesticide kumifos on there. Right. And so so then. You know working with this group we start getting deeper into it they start sourcing and testing beeswax from all over the nation and come to find out you know uh, it's hard to find beeswax that doesn't have kumabos in it right and and so Whoa. so so the story of beeswax you know kind of a good then it gets into the story of bees right and like the bio uh-huh. toxins of bees like bees are like an indicator species almost like the canary in the coal mine you know of like uh, of, uh what we're doing right and you know that with the math yeah. what's happening but it's crazy because so for one, Kumaphos it's it um it, it's not even sprayed on plants. It's sprayed on livestock to keep down like mites and fleas and bugs. Um and so 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 for a beekeeper that's one that truly organic apiary, they have to be like 50 miles from the nearest livestock operation because otherwise. They're you know the bees and their migrate you know flight paths you know will basically land on livestock and return to the hive and contaminate oh, the hive yeah. with Kumaphos and now all of a sudden it concentrates in the beeswax right and so and so and the story then gets even thicker right because like i don't know if you saw some of those netflix series around the the honey uh the big international honey debacle like you know,
0: I think I've seen some stuff about or it something
1: I think was the show. But mm-hmm. they had this one episode where they talk about how like, you know, honey, the, the in the world of honey in the international honey market, you know, honey market, you know, beekeepers are getting super screwed because there's all this like Chinese honey that's cut like 70 percent with high fructose corn syrup. And it's basically driving mm-hmm. the price of international honey down to where bee, basically beekeepers are not unable to really even sustain off just their honey production anymore because of how much the market's been getting smashed from this kind of this, this fraudulent honey, um, you know, kind of that's being cut. Mm-hmm. And so, so then as a result, these beekeepers have to then go like, essentially whore out their hives where they go to an avocado farmer in Carpinteria or they go to an almond farmer in like Merced, you know, kind of uh, area, you know, you know, kind of Patterson, like Fresno, you know, one of these areas. And then they basically like for a for a, for a yearly fee, they'll basically bring their hive to the crop, and then the, they'll like let the crop go pollinate or let the bees go pollinate that that field, you know. But essentially, the bees are then going and flying and touching all these plants that were sprayed maybe a week ago with pesticides, right? And yeah. so so I mean, then basically whatever the so whatever. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it, particularly in beeswax, too, because um, then, you know, so we, we see all these trends in the honey, or sorry, not in the honey, in the beeswax, where, you know, you, you see kumiflose a tremendous amount of the time, but you can also see these certain other pesticides. And, and you know, I can, I can I begin to predict as like, oh, that the, that's, you know, where avocado, those are avocado pesticides. So, you know, th- that was probably from an area where, you know, they were pollinating kind of uh, avocado oh, trees.
0: Interesting, yeah.
1: Yeah, but anyway it's just, it's just a to become thing. a trend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's wow. interesting, you yeah. know, but all all these different things, but it's it's uh it's it's been really, really fascinating to see from the testing angle, you know, kind of, you know, everything on the contamination side and then everything on the terpene kind of, you know, cannabinoid side. It's amazing to see how much, you know, revelation mm-hmm. have come about, you know, just over the last ten years now.
0: Which I feel like the terpene the terpene is becoming more and more relevant, I feel like. It's I think because more people are getting educated and and they're starting to like request reco- like I see it more on labels and then, uh, yeah, I'll see like you know they'll highlight like certain terpenes from certain products I'll see sometimes in the store and I I always get stoked when I see that because I'm like hell yeah you know you're not just saying like indicosa Sativa, right you're trying to add a little more to your to your product and uh, like what would you like has has it all like since like phase three started were you guys doing like terpenes right away then too or have you always been kind of doing terpene testing or yeah yeah more in recent or
1: no well so so i mean so we started testing cannabis in general in 2010 but then we started doing terpene testing in about 2013 so we've, we've had a terpene test that we've been working on you know since 2013 um so you know we were way ahead of our time kind of with terpene testing once kind of you know phase three kicked in where kind of terpene testing was part of it um but yeah for what it's worth we've actually you know it's um you know we've um going back since 2013 we've, we've done about like 175,000 or so terpene tests kind of on cannabis and hemp um in oregon and california kind of where the two you know kept mainly in california but you know we also have a lab up in oregon for the last five years that we've had kind of you know a lot of data come from as well but you know um yeah it's, it's it's actually fascinating we you know just over the last you know so 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 since 2013 we've done you know these hundreds of thousands of terpene tests and a few years ago we actually started working with some data scientists to help us to you know further open up and understand the range of terpenes that cannabis expresses and you know to kind of hopefully develop some tools to help uh empower those that we work with with better uh-huh. words than indica or sativa when it comes to terpenes and um and we we actually developed a essentially a, what's what, what it's like a terpene classification system and and um and you know from our findings of we're working with a data scientist you know what we realized is you know we test for 42 terpenes at the lab but really there's about five to nine primary terpenes that def, that pretty much you can use to categorize and sort all cannabis strains And, you know, of these thousands of name strains out there, we, what we see, there's about, there's about six primary smell groups by the primary to primary combination of terps. And then each primary group has say then two to three subgroups, but overall we see about 12 defined archetype smells really that everything we've ever tested sorts into, um, you know, and so. Yeah. So it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's intuitive to your experience. If you know the smell of the plant, like, you know, certain things are more similar to, you know, so, you know, like, if you know the smell of gas, right. You know, like chem dog, sour D, OG Kush, gorilla Mm -hmm. glue, right. Those are similar, right. As opposed to like Jack Herrera, train wreck, sage, Durban poison, you know, super lemon haze, right. You know, those are more similar. Right. And so, So, Mm -hmm. so the, the haze terp, that's a, that's a terpene called terpenaline, you know, terpenaline is like, it's one of my favorite terps, Um, but it's, it's like, you know, the one that everybody's always historically called sativa, you know, cause, but it's that like racy energy, like cerebral um, effect, you know, artistically inspiring. Um, but, but yeah, so, mm-hmm. so, so, that's one of the primary groups, but, you know, you could kind of think of it like this, this system that we've created, you kind of think of it like, it's like white, you know, you, when you think of wine, right. You, you know, you know, there's red wines, there's white wines, right. Within white wines, you know, there's Chardonnay and Pinot Grigio and Sauvignon Blanc, you know, so, so on, so on. Right. Mm-hmm. So we see that kind of with cannabis, but really there's about six primary groups, um, and then each group has their own sub kind of, sub kind of, uh, profiles. Um, but, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, but it's, it's really empowering too. Cause it's like, you know, the nose knows. And I feel like the, 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 the plant has this really incredible expression, but we, with our misinformed kind of ways, we like o- overly, you know, rely on THC as a as, as THC percentage and, you know these these words like in a kind of steva which you know typically aren't used even in the right ways based on you know yeah. one sensory to the next and so i think you know yeah, getting totally. having to train you know the nose around okay they're the fruits right they're the dessert type smells the gas smell right there's like you know kind of the hazy kind of piney type smell right And so you know, helping to break mm-hmm. down. The that's problem.
0: the piney is what I'm always like piney or like, um, I think it's, what is it? Cara? Carafiline. Yeah. yeah that's like pepper.
1: Yeah. Like yeah and-
0: that's kind of what I like about, uh, uh, like those kind of strains. Um, it's like, um, like I, I, you know, especially with concentrate, I feel like you get it so much more like, uh, with like a good, like live resin or something you get like, that first like smelling it and it gets like up into your nose oh, yeah. and you're it's like oh like that like man i sometimes it's like i don't eat like i don't even really like i don't just really smoke concentrate for the higher percentage i do it for like getting that guaranteed like terpene effect really every time and that taste and that smell because uh, with cannabis itself like the flower it really depends on like the person or the mm-hmm. the team or the group of teams that like manage to to store that properly all the way through to you in the dispensary yeah and the serpene sometimes is lost by the time it gets to you as a as a consumer well that's yeah no, that's, um, but
1: that's a very wise kind of just like uh like a personal observation too because that's kind of exactly what's happening you know like live resin i feel like you know like there's, there's some brilliance to that, right? Because, you know, harvesting the plant as fresh as it could be without any volatilization of turps, putting it on ice and then extracting it, you know, you're able to recapture and, and preserve as much turping content as was in the fresh plant. And so, you know, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just as an intuitive kind of uh, appreciator of cannabis, I think, you know, just uh, seeing that and then just what you are saying about flowers so dead on because something we see from the testing side of things is, you know, really, about sixty to eighty percent of terpene content is lost from time of harvest through drying and curing to the time it gets to the, to the consumer that purchases it, maybe for eighty dollars a gram or whatever, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, like I think consumers and the producers or farmers should be most outraged by this because because cannabis, I think really deserves like a cold supply chain. It's like a like a vegetable. It should be like never above like sixty yes. degrees temperatures, right?
0: And like light too especially once it's harvested and stuff yeah. Like just keeping it cold in the dark like I that's do. that's what I try to do like I I mean I should unplug it and bring it over but for my like for my concentrates I have like one of those little tiny oh. like it's almost like what you use for like I've seen like a lot of people use it from like makeup but they're like those little fridges and oh. I keep my like my like rosin and stuff in there and like that's like because it'll, you can watch it. Like, I like if somebody, if you want to waste your money, anybody listening, go buy a nice concentrate, open it, leave it on your counter cool. on the, for one for one day, and see what cool.
1: happens. Like, take a picture of it, or you can even You'll accelerate that it'll by just... putting it in the, the glove compartment of your car, right? <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> well, because or just
0: keep it in your pocket. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, no, but you're exactly right. Because I mean, because you know, so 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 of the of the six primary terpenes we see five of those six are monoterpenes monoterpenes have the lowest boiling point. So at room temperature, they're beginning to boil off, right? So five of the six primary terpenes are monoterpenes, right? So that, and, and again, those boil off at room temp. So those, so their monoterps are the most precious parts of the plant that go away quickest when it's not being treated properly. Right. And so, so, you know, even when you're going to harvest a field, you know, it's crazy how much time and effort a farmer will put into, just, you know, growing plants with so much love to the very end where they harvest them. And you know, oftentimes without even knowing, you know, it's like if you harvest during certain times of the day, you know, you just like sacrifice like 30% of the terpene content that you could have otherwise saved and preserved if you didn't harvest at that time, right? If you harvested at night or, you know, kind of early in the morning before the sun comes up and then within a really short amount of time from the time you harvested it, you got them, the plants into dark and cool spot you know below 60 for a long time it's like you had there was very mm-hmm. little to no volatilization that would have happened so the return and max preservation of your of the helmet of the terpene content that you have is you you, you might have three to five and a half percent terpene content in dried flower at that point but what we see is the yeah. average terpene content across the state for flowers is about one one and a half percent you know and and it, and and when the potential is three to five and a half percent, you can, you see how much loss is happening from most people's conventional ways that they dry and store their herb, right? And so so it's like mm-hmm. you know, like harvesting in the middle of the sun the well, day, and the you know all the terps are gone because and you smell that in the air, right? So I think it's a big thing yeah. on the pre- on the forefront of terping preservation, so especially too if you're buying your own earl and herb and you know because you're wasting your money otherwise if you are just having it sit in the you know your car kind of club compartment or like you're saying just even sitting you know in a house that's getting hot during certain parts of the day you know you can see how quickly yeah like
0: totally and it and it's like or like uh even with it's like every part of every skew of the plant like it's just like it doesn't like To be and nothing of nothing about it likes to be warm like none of your none of your edibles none of your vape pens none of your anything dude it's so crazy like i i I tell people that and some people just don't i mean it's okay if you don't really i understand if you just don't really care and you're like whatever and you're like weeds whatever but if you do it's like you know and maybe you don't know some of this stuff right like it's it's i feel like it's not like it's not like common people don't it's not like common knowledge to like keep you like or they look at you like you're a little like you keep it in the fridge. It's a life you know, hack. Like, if you love herb, yeah. you
1: know, like, it changes the entire
0: game. I just want it to taste good every time I smoke it. I'm sorry I'm like a weirdo, you know. No, it's, it's, it's really funny I learned
1: I learned that lesson kind of um, you know, it, it from as long as I've appreciated ganja, you know, kind of it, you know, just over the last couple few years you know, I kind of finally got the lesson, you know, can I go on this yearly camping trip, you know, for like four or five days with some really close buddies and, and, uh, you know, you go out with some really bomb herb, and and whatever's remaining on day four is just thrashed and powder and like, you know, pretty much deterped. But, you know, one year I kind of was going to the cooler to grab a water and I saw my buddy's bomb jar of herb, you know, in the cooler, just kicking it in the ice. And I was and you know, just realizing how much of a hack that was. Like I'm, mean, I, I do that all the time now. It's like if you're gonna,
0: because if yeah. you again, if
1: you just have your herb exposed to the elements, light and temperature, you know, you're you're actively working against the quality. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, especially um, like people that try to like save your uh, like your keef. I'd say keef is one of the one of those ones. Keef and concentrates are just are worse than flour. They're just like they'll just go bad so quick. And I didn't know that for a long time. You know, I used to have like some shatter and I'd leave Mm -hmm. it out like on the wax paper. Right. And it would like, I'd come back and it would be kind of like melted on the paper. And I'd be like, Oh man. And then it would just be harsher and harsher as I'd go. Or like the, you'd start to get like, you'd be pulling like the fat through your nail and Mm -hmm. stuff. And you start to get that collecting in your, yeah, it's just all different. I mean, it's just a lot of, uh, like at like learn it as you go right. I think as like a as like a consumer you know it's a uh,
1: it's it's uh, you're just describing that kind of uh, reminding me of whenever we're, we're doing this uh, like um data project like looking at our historic terpene data to see how it all sorted um, we you know we had, we created these parameters where you know based on the primary secondary tertiary terpenes you know it you know it it groups it like cluster, you know, like through this algorithm, you know, those strains would get clustered with other like strains of the of those terpenes. But, but we have this like outlier trigger. So if something didn't fit into one of these buckets or sub buckets, you know, it'd get flagged for a secondary review. And, you know, so I was most excited to go through all this data because, you know, I was like, wow, that's where all the most unique land race, like super rare terp profiles are going to be. And albeit like mm-hmm. there were some in there that were super unique, like outlying strains, like what I found out and realized. what we realized is a vast majority of that outlying data basically is what we came to realize that is the artifact of swag, you know, which is hilarious. Like it's so basically when when it's, we so we created a parameter called the swag flag, and so it's it's uh it's essentially anytime you know all the mono and sesquiterpenes are gone. You know, and 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 so there's if it, if, if something whether it's a flower or, or extract has less than you know 05 percent terpene content, um, and the only terpenes there are the highest boiling point terpenes that end in an ol, like phytol, nerolidol, bisabolol, guaiol, right? These these ones mm-hmm. that end in an ol, they're like they're some of the highest boiling point terpenes that. That if you look at a, a fresh expression or a live resin expression of a of a strain, you know those compounds will be there. But then the tiniest trace amounts, right, relative to all these primary terpenes. But whenever all those ter- primary terpenes go away, you know, and there's nothing left but those like high boiling point terpenes, like that's the smell of hay. That's like that, you know. It's like if in in the extraction side, those are the mm-hmm. those are the most undesirable terps that don't smell good at all you know, that kind of like are, you know, really contributing to the degradation of flavor and quality in that way. Um, You know, but yeah, it's, but, you know, essentially we, yeah, we called the swag flag because you know it was this thing (laughs) that we saw repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again, going through like thousands of strains where it's like, wow, it's all the same thing. It's like no terpene content, less than 0.5%. And, you know, all the most present primary terpenes gone. The only thing left are these OL terps, (laughs) you know, so yeah so interesting so yeah
0: besides those besides those outliers like with the swag have you seen anything else that's like I'm curious if there's like a a strain of cannabis that just carries like terpenes that aren't similar to each other like that are vastly different like if it's just like something that tastes kind of like these opposite ends and has like something that's unique like that yeah well so
1: so so the most unique terpene uh, profile that we see is like awesomeine awesomeine it's like o-c-i-m-e-n-e um like there's like beta and cis you know awesomeine there but awesomeine is the is the terpene um and and so awesomeine is is one of the you know awesomeine and the sm- and the other terpene linalool the, those those terpenes are the main terpenes behind the smell of lavender right so it's like a mm-hmm. low key floral terpene right um and 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 so awesomeine it's you know it's in 1% of the data, we see osamine as the dominant terpene and very low, pretty much all other terpenes. So it's like just awesomene dominant. And that's a very floral type terp smell. Um, like Tropical Sleigh Ride, like that was uh, won the Emerald Cup kind of many years now. And, you know, um, there's there quite a few okay. awesomene strains that kind of won most uh, or won some terp awards and kind of in this last year's uh, Emerald Cup. But, but also, anyway, osamine, uh, osamine dominant strains represent about 1% of the data. But besides that 1%, you know, when you know, osamine, you you don't really see with limonene, you don't really see with caryophylline, you don't really see with, you know, pinene. Um, but but like when you usually mm-hmm. typically see osamine, it's on either side of the, like, effect spectrum. It's like with myrcene or with terpinaline so and, and in in a sub amount so 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 myrcene is like really high myrcene right that's the sedative terpene that's like the, the fruit smell right like tangies and agent orange talio and yeah. um cherry ak and all all the purples and you know you and, and when there's myrcene with a little bit of osamine, awesome, I mean, that's like all the tropical fruits so mango papaya green crack dream queen and oh, the pines okay. pineapple right um super skunk mm-hmm. kind of that smell um, but, but, but that's really high myrosine with a little bit of osamine. Um, and, you know, and so, it, but that little bit of osamine makes that unique tropical fruit smell. Um, uh, and so, but, but, but besides with being, being with myrosine, you know, you really don't ever see osamine unless it's on the other side of the window with terpinolene. So it will be really high terpinolene with a little bit of osamine. And, you know, that's a lot of these like, um, train wreck or Jack or Dutch treat, you know, kind of um, you know, way yeah. on the other side of the spectrum. So you so you either see it with the far, quote unquote indica sides of the, of the spectrum, or you see it with the far, quote unquote sativa side of the spectrum. You know, interesting.
0: Yeah, my favorite my favorite strain of all time is Slimer. Slimer, that's a terpenaline
1: like, strain. Like. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my oh
0: that's man. A really that's, high testing. It's like,
1: that's a yeah. That, I I love Slimer. I agree. with that.
0: The best, dude. It's like the Slimer, like Concentrate. like I think like Raw Garden has had a bunch of it and there's been a couple other brands Canna I know like kind of so like really cruise, I think,
1: had a they were growing a good slime for a
0: while. Yeah. Like, dude, it was oh man. Like I when I came down here it was like one of the first strains of like weed in California that I like tried and then I was like, yo and I just like tried it from a every time I had it from a different like uh brand or cultivator, it always had that same wow. Like and I just learned to appreciate like that. Like I was like kind of, I guess when I really started to learn to appreciate like certain uh, certain strains. But yeah, Slimer's that that one for me. <laughs> That's epic.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, a lot because a lot of people don't really vibe with terpenaline dominant herb like um, like Slimer or like um, yeah like jack train Trainwreck XJ thirteen J one yeah. like because it can be a little much for people depending on their experience. But yeah, really yeah, like that terpene range and then like the gas range are my, my my two favorites. Yeah.
0: Yeah, gas too like a good like um yeah, like a good gorilla yeah. or like a OG is always it's really that's such an interesting favorite. there's some there's some strains too now that I've found that are like the the smell is like um it's like it's it's not a good smell, but it's really interesting. Like you're like what the yeah, fuck yeah, is yeah, like that, that. Dude, kind of like the like garlic that. mushroom
1: onion yeah that, <laughs> like their name. so they call it gmo which i hate even worse you know um, yeah totally. yeah it's kind of like oh it's kind of invasive or
0: <laughs> yeah well ah oh, man well dude uh this has been really cool actually like you like kind of gave me like a really like more in-depth look at some stuff because I know it's like the, the testing and part that I see and how I've been connected to it has always been um, just, you know, trying to like in the in the beginning, it was like trying to get like a good like R&D test. So there were like there was so much It was so funny to see like the reverse engineering on the on the back end side, you know, of everybody trying to get these high potency tests and then like the movement to to compliance and to and like what you're saying, like all these it's like it's like it's 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 like bleeding into other things and i think it's gonna like change more than just like you like you, you're talking about like with just honey and with like the chocolate and everything like i think it's it's changing more than just just weed it's like our understanding of just like uh of pretty much everything yeah. dude. yeah <laughs> yeah no it's great i feel like
1: there's you know for like um testing has really helped to elevate the understanding and accelerate the understanding of like all the leaders in this space and just like the, the love for the plant and knowing the complexity of it, you know, and it's also, I feel like helping really set the path for other, you know, why is our food not tested to this level, you know, and there's the, when you really understand how dirty, so much of the food system is and, you know, and with terpenes, it's like, you know, I feel like, you know, we, we're still at our infancy with this plant in like regulating and understanding what makes the value right of it you know and, and you know mm-hmm. I, you know it's, i think it's very ignorant kind of in the market we're currently in where thc just dominates is you know people that consume alcohol they don't purchase based off proof you know if they did like everclear would be the number one spirit sold you know in you know in, in liquor yeah. stores you know but clearly it's not you know there's all these other things and so you know it's, i feel like paying tribute to the range and diversity of what the plant has to offer and each of the terpene expressions that as has, it gives us a roadmap forward, you know, to, to be more intelligent, in how we, you know, consume it and how we, you know, recommend it and share the the love of it, you know, and and doing it just in a more intelligent way. And I feel like, you know, it's like as, as we were stewards of this plant, you know, and I feel like we all are at least a solid to speak truthfully about it, you know, and it takes, mm-hmm. takes self empowering, you know, our understanding and, you know, pushing your boundaries
0: in that way. And, you know, each one, teach one. <laughs> yeah, dude. Is there like uh any, I mean, do you want to share like any of your, um, is there like, I don't know if, I always ask people if they have anything they want to like share or plug or like cool. normally I have like comedians and stuff on here and they want to like share their social media. Is there anything, if there's anything you want to like share or people can like, I guess like follow
1: or like any content you have or anything like that about the yeah. lab people can try right. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, SC Lab, uh, you know, I think it's like SC Laboratories on Twitter, um, underscore SC Labs on, uh, on, on Instagram, you know, should be have Facebook too, you know, we have a YouTube channel. So yeah, check us out, you know, also, you know, go to our website, you know, we have a lot of really good information on there and the a blog, you know, sclabs.com. Um, and, and yeah, you know, my, my personal Instagrams, uh, CB Dizzle, so yeah, man, it's been really nice, nice, kind of joining you today, Michael. Really appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, seriously, it was it was really nice to sit down and, and talk today. Yeah, can we do puff one? Hell yeah, for
1: sure. I'll have
0: to. Sure. All right, man, take it easy. Yeah, bless. You.